everyone, and welcome to The Conscious Perspective. I'm your host, Gary Haskins, and you are now tuned in to enable yourself to vibe, to transmit, to resonate at a different frequency, and to see life in a different perspective. A perspective that allows you to fully see what's going on, to, to know what's going on behind the scenes, to really, to really peel the layers back of what it means to be a human being, and to fully see this reality for what it is. And I call that perspective the conscious perspective. The following is a conversation with Slava Kolpakov also known as Surya, and hopefully I said both of those names correctly. Slava is the author of the book Threads of Light, which I highly recommend. Uh, Threads of Light is a collection of short stories that uh, by Slava himself, and he has a way of explaining very profound topics in a very simple way, in a way that even if you never heard of anything of yogic philosophy or, you know, if, if you just picked it up for the first time and never did a yoga class or read anything of the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita or if you just, just want to know something new or just see the life in a new way, Slava's there for you with threads of light. Like I said, I highly recommend it. He is a very, very interesting individual, and it was an honor for me to sit down with this guy. Um, I think he's the man, personally. He is a yogi, through and through. Um, I don't know him too well, but from the few conversations that we've had, I can tell that this guy is the real deal. And, uh, yeah, it was an honor, like I said, speaking to this guy, and hopefully everyone enjoys our conversation and hopefully you get something out of it without further ado let's get into it so it's very interesting uh, cannabis is another cannabinoids there's about 140 different cannabinoids mm. that again have been proven uh to treat uh like brain cancers especially in children in microdoses you know mm-hmm. you think like cannabis for children but actually you know it's it kills cancer cells, you know, specifically THC, not so much CBD, but THC is very effective. CBD usually deals with the pain by THC. It goes straight to the fastest uh, replicating cells in the body, Mm. basically uh, neutralizes them. That's really, that is really interesting. Actually. Was that one of the things that was in the documentary that you watched? Exactly. It actually had several episodes on cannabis, Uh, multiple, um, examples you know life stories of moms and dads with their kids and people who were treating their parents you know with this and they were basically stage four they were terminal Mm -hmm. reverse in two weeks they're walking again in six months they're still alive they're getting you know basically complete you know reversal of the cancer Mm -hmm. and all they're doing is just taking cannabis and of Mm -hmm. course it has to be formulated it has to be you can't just take any kind of you know it has to be very specific formula yeah, it's like an oil, like a concentrated oil. Concentrated oil, that's the most effective, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's available. And so I've been watching all these series, you know, and I was just thinking maybe you're 
kind of trying to do something similar, you know, put together, um, you know, some kind of a conscious perspective. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's exactly what I'm doing is looking at things such as, uh, you know, alternative medicines that can help people that a lot of people don't even know about. And it can come from medicines of the mind, medicines, physical ailments, or just, you know, spiritual ailments or whatever it is. It's just to reach a new perspective on life. That's something else other than the mainstream. Exactly. Yeah. And talking to people like you that, you know, actually know about this stuff and dive deep into the, the knowledge base of the stuff and, hopefully uh, can impact some people. I don't know if I, you know, I am not a scholar, you know, so I don't, uh, I don't study this um, kind of like as a professor would, you know, in a, in a college or something and deliver, you know, memorized um, lines out of uh, the, the Gita or the Upanishads. You know, I've read, I've read them, um, you mm-hmm. know, from commentaries on them. Um, so and you know i've been doing this for a while so i have some knowledge but my knowledge is mostly experiential you know for me and and this by the way you know over and over you hear this repeated in different scriptures whether it's the upanishads or something out of buddhism it's all experiential you know it has to be one part i can't remember which upanishad it is but there's one part where um Narada, you know, Narada is a sage, uh, mm-hmm. mythical figure uh, who's talking to um, another sage who's like in a human form, you know, and he, and he says, what is, what is that knowledge by which you can know things that are unknown? You know, what is that knowledge that you can hear that which is unheard of and that you can see that which is unseen? And he says, you know, I've traveled through all the worlds and I have read the Vedas and I have seen snake charming, you know, he kind of gives you a range of everything, but I have not heard of the knowledge that gives you the knowledge of the true self. Mm -hmm. The knowledge of the self is experiential, but it's not accessed uh, by the mind. Mm -hmm. You're not able to access it, but you can experience it because you're it, you're living it. You know, yes. the self is life mm-hmm. and it's not an object. Mm-hmm. As you, you know, we talked about that in the training. Uh, as soon as you objectify it, you lost it. Mm. And, so, and it's very good at uh, creating, you know, kind of these facsimiles of itself, you know, where you're looking as you're, you know, focusing on your consciousness, your witness, you always inadvertently, you're going to turn and say, well, who is, who is this witness? You know, that's a witnessing, mm. whatever, my breath or my meditation mantra or whatever your technique is, who is observing it? And as soon as you start to observe the observer, right, you make that observer an object. Mm-hmm. You, you have separated. And it is that, it's basically the ultimate continuous witness consciousness mm-hmm. right which cannot be objectified so you yes. can't you can't pin it down you know and that's the trick and that's we talked about the game of uh hide and seek you know mm-hmm. consciousness is playing this game you know it's uh tr- originally it's unmanifested and then it becomes manifested into this multitude of names and forms and you know the whole 
inexhaustible mystery of life, the colors and the sounds and everything that we experience through the senses, but more, even more, because the senses are, are limited. And, and that is just how it just blows up and manifests that way. But in its original state, it's what the Buddhists call the void, right? The void, uh, shunyam, they call it, or, but, and the Hindus say, Purnam. Purnam is the fullness of the experience, you know, and we're not able to experience that fullness. Mm. Why do you think we lose track of that? Like, is, is that part of the game of life? Is that we have to keep coming back? It's just one big, like, meditative cycle, or have we just lost our way? So we, it's, I mean, you can say or argue that it's done on purpose, because, mm-hmm. you know, if we all knew our true self, we would not know it, right? Mm-hmm. You can only know it by not being it. You have mm-hmm. to depart from it. It's so everything is known by its opposite. That's why, you know, in every uh, spiritual tradition, whether it's religious or philosophical, there is always that dichotomy, like the Tao, you know, the Taoists talk about the yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know something, you see peace because you know despair you know unpeace you know chaos yeah you know and so it's that kind of thing you you will seek peace or consciousness because you're so familiar with non-bliss the Mm. experience of the opposite Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know the idea is to come back to it but in some ways the whole you know our wish to search for it you know, our desire to know who we are implies that we have the experience of it. Mm. And because if we had not, and so we have this little knowledge of it somewhere, you know, in, you know, these uh, magical moments when you're looking at the stars, when you're looking at the ocean, uh, the sunset, you know, looking at animals or uh, a newborn baby, you know, in magical moments, you have a, there is an inkling of it, you know, you recognize there's something greater. Yeah. And so, and that recognition is what makes a search, you know, for something deeper in life. So, but this search implies that we already have it, right? Mm-hmm. And we have this half knowledge that eventually will mature into full clarity, illumination. Mm-hmm. You mean eventually in, like, in, throughout our lifetime or throughout other lifetimes? Like, do you think that this is a reincarnation thing where all the work that we put in, in this life, we may become more self-realized in the next? Um, so in this lifetime and in other lifetimes, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's both. We, mm-hmm. um, you know, we always have a chance to approach that state of oneness um, even though we have the mind, the mind is supposed to distract you. That's the job of the mind. Some people say the job of the mind is to think and to analyze and to, you know, criticize. Uh, but the job of the mind in this case is really to distract you mm. from knowing the self. Um, and that's why it's known as the game, right? Because why are we doing this? You know, mm-hmm. we're just masochistic. And it's like some kind of cosmic masochism <laughs> that we're all of us performing, you know, and like we just like to suffer. We don't want to know what bliss is, you know. Uh, but that's, you know, again, so it's that dichotomy. You want to know what the opposite is by first experiencing the pain. Mm. That's why, you know, like the Buddha obviously said the first principle, uh, noble truth, is life is suffering, 
right? So life is suffering. And that's a, you know, if you accept this fact that life is suffering or life is difficult and it's supposed to be difficult and you're going to come across a bunch of obstacles in your life, then it becomes a little bit less difficult. Mm -hmm. So now you're not uh, surprised by the difficulties. You know, you're expecting that at some point, you know, you might have an obstacle or challenge and uh, you prepare for it uh, by understanding that you are not um, just that, you know, you're not just this physical limited being. Yeah. Uh, separate from being put through the suffering for no reason. Mm-hmm. This is a, you know, a cleansing, you know, a sort of cleansing that you go through cleansing of your ego, cleansing of your mind until the mind is calm. That's why we meditate to make the mind calm. The mind is calm to see, or to reflect that which is deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a saying. I mean, this is pretty much in all the literature. Is like separateness is is suffering in any kind of all like all of the suffering that we come to or our perceived suffering is it stems from our own uh, perception of our separateness to this world. But once you realize we are, you know, our own unity, it's not really suffering. Exactly. And that's pretty much what it is. From that separateness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or, or identification with the wrong thing. You know, we identify with that which is limited and we think that's who we are, but we're so much greater mm. than this individual self. Mm-hmm. Individual self is just a bleep, you know, it's just a little bleep in existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the yogis maintain that, you know, we are not born. The body is born, but we are that consciousness which has never been born, which was unmanifested at first, and you will return to that unmanifested state after the physical death of the body, and then you will carry with you certain aspects of your individual soul or what they call Atman, right? Atman is, well, Atman literally means, At means breath. Man is either man or uh, mind, mm-hmm. right? Anything in so it's when you are the the essential part of yourself is atman right so the true authentic spiritual self is atman everything else any other self that you call self is basically an object mm-hmm. atman, that which is the uh, authentic subject that looks out you can't look at it like what mm-hmm. we're talking about so atman is the witness atman is the ultimate witness yeah mm. Mm. you can't witness it that's, you, can't, you can't witness the witness. Cannot, not the ultimate witness. No, you can, <laughs> you can uh, use the you know prefrontal cortex of your brain, the what's known as the buddhi, right? B u d d h i. Buddhi is the um, the intelligence of the mind that's able to uh, self-analyze, be self-aware. Basically, the prefrontal cortex, uh, which mm. developed not that long ago as a species, and that is a witness as well, but that's not the true self. That is, um, you know, a replica in a way. It's a, not the full thing, you know, it's just part of the mind, but it's uh, mirroring the self in some ways. Mm-hmm. You're using that witness, your prefrontal cortex, the buddhi, this discerning intellect, discerning intelligence, to uh, make the mind calm, to choose the right, make the right choices, um, you know, you know, not drink too much, not eat too much, not, you know, all the different, you know, precepts and practices that we do, that's, that's coming from the buddhi, 
right? Mm-hmm. The smarter part of ourselves, not the limbic brain, not the more egoic, you know, animalistic uh, tendencies, but the higher part of the brain, which is reflecting the deeper, you know, self. Mm-hmm. And using that, we're able to understand what we are. And it's using that part of the brain or the mind that all these books of knowledge have been written, the Vedas and Upanishads and in other traditions as well, you know, even the science, you know, science you can say is in some ways uh, a true, you know, a truth or form of truth that is unarguable, mm. right? Not all science, of course, science is always inquisitive, right? It's an inquiry, uh, but some scientific knowledge is also kind of like downloaded or as they call revealed, right? So before the word download in the olden days, they used the word reveal, revelation. Mm-hmm. Something that comes through you. Um, in uh, Sanskrit, they use the word shruti. Shruti, it's S-H-R-U-T-I. Shruti uh, means that which is heard, mm. right? Shruti is, so it's not something that you learn or remember. It's something that comes through you like a channel. Mm-hmm. It's like a transmission. A transmission. And, and so these books of knowledge, like the Vedas, the Upanishads, they are considered to be in the realm of Shruti. Uh, mm-hmm. so these were revealed to meditators, you know, five, 6,000 years ago, or maybe even not that long ago, maybe two to 3,000 years ago, when they were present to their, you know, consciousness, their self, the Atman. And the Atman will, you know, kind of like a light, you know, shining and illuminating an object. You know, you can't, if there's no light, you can't see the object. Mm-hmm. And you can only see your hand if there's light shining on it. As soon as I take my hand, it's just space. But the mm-hmm. light is still shining through the space. You just can't see the light. You only see the light when I put my hand up. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and so the light of the self, this authentic self, the Atman, is always shining. And as soon as it's falling onto the witnessing consciousness of your mind, you know, that's calm and steady, then it's able to reflect that light. Then mm-hmm. you perceive that there is something greater. There's something else there mm-hmm. are greater than just this body mind. Mm. And, and that's what the world needs more of right now is that, is that revelation. Absolutely. Yeah. And so these revelations came through. Yeah. And there, you know, people are in, always into people always downloading and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so where like would where did they do you think these the, these sages came up with it just through meditation like just literally just stilling the mind and these just revelations that come through is what you're saying pretty much i mean yeah. so nature you know mother nature is the original teacher yeah all of this knowledge is out in nature if you observe nature you very quickly realize that uh, it's impermanent right it's always changing Mm-hmm. There is a principle that is not changing. There is something that is always the same. And so it's just by observing the natural phenomena, meditating on contemplating on the natural phenomena that they came to realize these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we don't really know exactly, you know, who was like the original uh, teacher uh, or sage. You know, we know that the first writings of this. Uh, happened about 5,000 years ago. So the Vedas, right, the books of knowledge, Vedas, have been written uh, about 5,000 years ago. Rig Veda is the oldest one. It's R.G. Veda. 
Rigveda. And these are, you know, uh, songs and poems. They're basically just uh, kind of inspired renderings of poetic minds. You know, they're not really um, like commandments of priests, you know, do this, don't do that. Yeah. They didn't contain any of that dogma. They mm -hmm. mostly just were outpourings of this, um, you know, realization at the beauty, the mystery of life, you know, mm. the uh, endless universe, you know, the immensity of universe as they contemplated on nature, they, that, those were the realizations. And so at first, you know, they were probably not, you know, as deep, you know, as we know them. And also a lot of them uh, might have been lost, you know, what we have might be only like 1% of what there was mm -hmm. they weren't written down they were just orally uh transmitted from person to person from teacher to student and mm. there's no way to record them they didn't write things down they memorized they had incredible memory so they memorized all of these lengthy passages you know and th they would add and subtract i'm sure they would play around with the content and they get deeper and deeper into it and what we finally whoever wrote it down didn't put their name on it because mm. Probably it wasn't the teacher who wrote it down. It was probably a scribe. You know how kings in the olden days had scribes? Yep. And so there was probably someone who, was, uh, who knew enough Sanskrit uh, or who was very well versed in, in writing, you know, which was new at the time. Mm -hmm. was able to write down some of these um, you know, kernels of wisdom, pearls of wisdom. And then that developed over time. So when we talk about the Vedas, we don't talk about like a single, um, you know, book like Bhagavad Gita. You know, we don't even talk about it as, uh, you know, a series of books. The Vedas are really, they were written over centuries, if not thousands of years, you know. So it's a whole style of writing, mm -hmm. poetic at the same time, you know, because a lot of it is rhyme uh, and also philosophical. And so some, some of them are not necessarily philosophical. Some of them are practical. You know, how do you make food? How do you dress? Uh, what is the proper etiquette? You know, so things like that. And then, you know, they talk about um, relationships between people, relationships between kingdoms, mm -hmm. different, the four caste system, you know, that was introduced in the Vedas. We know about the caste system from the Vedas originally. And, and that spread, you know, that was not just in India or well, India wasn't India at the time, the Indus River Valley, where all of that developed. Um, the people, obviously people traveled, merchants traveled at the time, and they took that knowledge all around. You know, they went up to Persia um, and, you know, we know um, a lot of Sufism, you know, uh, Sufis uh, have been influenced by this knowledge as well. There's a lot of um, echoing, you know, across cultures of the mm -hmm. same ideas, the same depth of knowledge. Of course, Buddhism, you know, the, the Buddha was from that part of the world, you know, and he, he never went over to Asia, you know, to Southeast Asia, where Buddhism is so huge right now. He was from India, from Northern India. So again, um, this is kind of like the birthplace um, that we know of. People ask, well, where does it come from? Like, where did these people learn and why did it happen? You know, well, first they had economic um, comfort, right? They, they had um, plenty of food. They didn't have to worry about 
hunting and gathering, you know, they had, they had comfortable lives. Um, and this tradition lasted for so long that they really um, boiled down, you know, the most, uh, you know, the, the brightest and the deepest truths mm. from all the immensity of everything that was going on at the time. So I'm sure there was a lot of uh, empty talk, just like we do now, you know, just hanging out under a tree and, <laughs> and talking about this and that. But what we know as the Vedas, it's really just boiled down, you know, the essential teachings. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much, uh, it's like a, is it like a, an enormous guidebook of how to live your life? Is it like, is it, is it more, is it less so like a set of rules of, uh, you know, traditional Western religion? And it's more so of just like a guidebook of how to be happy, essentially? I mean, so you can say that, you can find that, you know, they can be interpreted multiple ways. Um, it's not really a guidebook. It's just po- poems and hymns. Uh, so the Vedas, usually they have uh, four different parts to them. Uh, so there's four Vedas and with, you know, four Vedas. And within those four Vedas, there's four different parts. Upanishads is the last part. Mm-hmm. So the first part um, is known as Brahmanas, right? Brahmanas are these... Uh, kind of almost religious songs, you know, and uh, of different divine names, you know, different mantras. Uh, then there's something known as uh, Aranyakas. Aranyakas are usually translated as forest texts because they were written in, you know, by hermits, you know, and different seekers in the forest, forest mm-hmm. hermits, you know, they'd go out and find a teacher and then some of them were skilled enough to write. So they would write these down or, memorize and you know transmit orally and then the final part of it um is are the um upanishads and upanishad means you know you know so typically typically they translate upanishad as sitting at the master's feet right so because mm-hmm. they literally sit around the tree uh or you know a cave or something like that somewhere in the forest and they would gather up and listen to someone talk about the nature of consciousness or the nature of the universe or astrology, whatever, you know, different things, uh, different um, fields of knowledge. Um, and so Upanishads are known as the end of the Vedas, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they are the final part of the Vedas. And that's why we have the word Vedanta, right? Because Veda, we know Veda means knowledge, Anta means end the end of knowledge. So they're the ending chapter of this, of this wisdom. And it's here really just in the Upanishads that these, like you said, life principles, um, you know, how to live your life. That's where you find that, you know, mm-hmm. in previous parts like the Brahmanas, the Puranas, the Aranyakas, you don't, that's mostly just kind of rituals, uh, sacrificial rites, uh, hymns, you know, mantras, things like that. So, but the, bra- the, the uh, Upanishads actually contain discourses between teacher and student, mm-hmm. father and son, you know, the son who went away and studied for 12 years and then they came back, he came back and the father would talk to him, what did you find out? What did you learn? And so they would, and then through that conversation, you understand, right, deeper and deeper meaning of what they're talking about. And usually it is about the nature of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've noticed the Upanishads. Uh, they pretty much all around the same topic, even though it's all different speakers. It's all 
yeah you know we we are there's the material world and then there's the there's the other world and uh it's pretty much we we live in two worlds and right don't get too attached yeah they talk a lot about brahman yeah brahman Brahman. Brahman. that's what we all are underlying reality yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and that's you know upanishads was basically were the original vedanta Mm -hmm. you know now it's expanded beyond the upanishads but uh, originally that's what we know as vedanta philosophy the end of the vedas sometimes called advaita vedanta because brahman is the non-dual principle right the one behind all whether you see it or you don't so things that uh, exist that you can look at and you can objectify and things and the subject right the subject that's look that always looks out mm-hmm. which is brahman and brahman mm-hmm. It uses uh, um, uh, basically a magic trick uh, to create this mirage of a reality that you're looking at. And as you look at it, you know, you think it's real because you're using, you know, that which is not real to see that which is not real. So you're in this non-real reality, you know, kind of like a dream. You know, when you're dreaming and you're participating in your dream, you think, that's real you know you get your heart starts beating fast you know things happen in your dream very vividly but when you wake up you realize that was just a dream Mm -hmm. on the dream you know you're you're not in the dream right your body's lying down you're in bed sleeping you're you're projecting that reality so in the same way you know brahman consciousness the you know witness consciousness projects this world using this function of maya Maya is the illusion. And mm-hmm. so you know, according to this philosophy, everything is an illusion, including the mind. You know, the mind is also an illusion, which is a, you know, it's a hard concept to grasp by the mind because we're using the mind to grasp this concept. So it's, you know, we go in circles like this. And that's why 5,000 years ago they were talking about it and we're still talking about it now. We're yeah. always talking about it because there is no way to arrive at the truth by talking about it. Exactly, just by stilling. And I think it's very interesting, like you said, we're still talking about it now, but people are putting it in more of a, a way of, in like, you know, the, the, this reality is a simulation. That's pretty much, they figured that out thousands of years ago. Right. And we're just, like, people just have a different way of looking at it now, but it's the same concept. It's, yeah. it's always been a simulation. It has always been a simulation, exactly, to play the game of hide and seek. You know, hide the true self, see if you can find it. Mm-hmm and come up with all sorts of obstacles on the way and so that you get knocked around by these obstacles until you say all right i've had enough of this you know i know there's something deeper in me you know Mm -hmm. start the journey of that search eventually Mm -hmm. come back to yourself so you know kind of go in a circle and come back to where you started Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's you know that's kind of like the the journey of the hero you know like what uh joseph campbell talks about in his book uh the hero with a thousand faces you know it says quintessential you know journey of any uh hero in any myth or any story is you uh discover something that makes your life current life impossible you know so you have to basically jump out and search for some truth or fix something whether it's within yourself or with your immediate environment Mm. eventually you come around you come transformed you know and through this journey you become transformed and you come back to where you started but you're a different person you're at a different level Mm. of consciousness of spiritual evolution Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, you can say that maybe we are kind of spiraling around this one same spot, you know, getting a little bit more and more evolved. Although looking at the world right now, it's hard to make that case, right? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I think in some ways people were more evolved back then mm -hmm. and have all the distractions that we have come up with. Mm -hmm. You know, there's also an argument that all the technology that we're able to create, you know, right? We're using our minds to create technology and the mind is limited. So our technology will always have a, a limit. Mm. As far as our minds are limited, that would be the limit of our technology. Uh, but in the same way, our minds are actually capable of doing just that without the technology, mm -hmm. right? All these, you know, um, speaking across distance, remote viewing, you know, psych, you know, um, like psychic uh, uh, conversations, you know, and visualizations and things like that. These are all innate qualities of the mind and we have switched them up for technology. Mm -hmm deadened or numbed our own innate sense um, of those qualities or senses that we have the extra you know extra sensory uh, perception mm -hmm. that we all have you know the minds are capable of that mm. using technology we've numbed that part of ourselves mm -hmm. that seems to be happening more you know back then two three thousand years ago before we had the tvs and internet and radios and cell phones you know, you had to develop some of those qualities. Like, I mean, like I said, they had incredible memory. They could commit to memory, you know, hours and hours, if not days of precise poetic renderings, you know, yeah. and this was across the board. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows what other skills and powers they possessed. You know, we only know from scriptures, like the sutras, you know, yoga sutras, they talk about, a whole, you know, a whole lineup of different powers that you can gain through meditative practices, you know, including levitation, mm. and, uh, knowing the entire anatomy of the body and the anatomy of the universe just by meditating. Mm -hmm. That, you know, so it's, it's curious, you know, that we've lost touch with that part of ourselves and we're kind of on the way of losing more and more of that. Yeah, it's like we, as we become more connected to each other, we become more disconnected from ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. I think, uh, I, I, you know about Neuralink and Elon Musk, how he wants to hook up our brains to computers pretty much. Um, I actually think that the advent of that technology is going to bring about some, I mean, or has the potential to bring about some of the things that we talked about, like, you know, psychic abilities and being able to reach deeper into our mind at will rather than taken us away from it but i mean it could be used for nefarious purposes as well but i think we'll be like that's actually one thing that he said that we're going to be able to hook up and and communicate without talking which is that is just doesn't even make any sense but it i think i think our next evolutionary step you know ideally in a, in a perfect world is that we hook up to computers and that enables us to go deeper inside of our minds and deeper inside of ourselves so that we can access that and use it for the right ways. And, and so we don't have to, you know, go through these crazy yogic uh, adventures that we put ourselves through and yeah. actually make it a lot easier and more um, accessible to the, the population and more people. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That sounds very Elon Muskish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, 
I, I mean, I think there is some validity to that. And, but again, there's, there's going to be a ceiling to that, you know, mm. not going to be able to pass that, which is unknowable, right? Mm. Some things are just not knowable by the mind. The mind has limits. So, and no matter how hard you educate yourself or, or, you know, expose yourself to different ideas, it doesn't really matter. Uh, no matter how far you can progress in your technology, it's going to hit a ceiling of the, the mind's own limitations, the mind, mm -hmm. because the mind is limited by the senses, right? So the mind is composed of all the senses, everything you've seen, heard, touched, taste, tasted, smelled, and perceived otherwise, or inferred otherwise, um, has a limit, you know, you can't see everything, you don't see every color out there, you don't hear every sound out there. Like I give the example in my teacher trainings, you know, a dog can smell uh, a drop of blood in an Olympic sized swimming pool, right? A dog mm -hmm. can smell that. We can't smell a drop of blood in a glass of water. Mm -hmm. so our perception of the world is very limited through our senses. Mm -hmm. When the dog goes outside, they can understand the world in a way that we could never understand. We just mm -hmm. have that capability. Um, and, and that's true for every sense. So our, what we are understanding, what, what is actually out there is not what we're looking at. Mm. What you're looking at and what you're hearing is just a fraction of reality, right? Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we are always going to be limited in our tools because we're not building the right tools to really understand what the world is. We can't see. It's like you're in a dark room and you just have this little narrow spotlight. You're just searching within that spotlight. You don't yeah. realize that there's this whole giant cave around you that's always going to be uh, unseen. Mm. And, and so unless, unless you know the self, the self is that cave. The self is that expansive existence. Yeah. And, and the self is really and, unknowable. And the search is always going to continue. The mm -hmm. self is unknowable through the mind. The yeah. search is always going to continue because we have a fraction of it. We're holding on to a fraction. Mm. Wish to attain it means that we are it, but not through the mind. The mind is the wrong tool. Mm -hmm. Digital technology, all the other tools, you know, microscopes, telescopes, all of that is always going to be limited because we're still looking at a very narrow spotlight of what is out there. Mm. And we can't talk about it, you know, because there's no way to understand it through words or thoughts. Mm -hmm. But there is a way to know it, to be to be it. And, and the way is presence, right? Presence as in meditative practices in Buddhism, you know, kind of mindfulness to this present moment, right? Moment to moment. Or in the yogic traditions, it's focusing on an object, something that's uplifting, something that's inspiring to you, uh, whether it's a meaningful word like a mantra, whether it's your breath, which of course is meaningful because it sustains you with life, right? You have to breathe. Um, or visualization, right? So like a light in the heart center, you know, everyone has a heart center, everyone has the third eye. So visualizing or doing mantra or doing any kind of form of meditation, meditation eventually makes you realize the truth. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment in your life where you like, or was it a gradual thing that you realized the truth? Like, the, was there something where you just something clicked and you're like, oh, I am actually everything. I am all of this. And you know, this is just materialism is, isn't real and the, the real self lies beyond it all. Or is it more of just like a gradual thing and gradual? Um, so 
Yeah, I am one of those who did not have, you know, a spiritual awakening like Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. or Ramana Maharshi, you know, one of the, you know, the great uh, teachers out there. Um, you know, for me, and I think like for most of us, this realization has always been there. You know, it's always kind of lurking and um, I can sense it, you know, mm-hmm. and look at it. I can, I cannot directly approach it but I have a feeling of it and we all do. We all have a sense of it. And of course, the more uh, critical the mind is, the more difficult it is to sense that lurking, you know, sense of your own immensity. Um, And so for me, that was early on because I grew up in a, you know, in a household of my dad practicing yoga and doing meditation. And my parents very open to that, even though I grew up in the Soviet Soviet Union, Soviet system, which was not very popular, but my parents were kind of exceptional in that sense. Mm. So I was open to that from very early age. And when I came to America, you know, it was, yeah, it was just step by step, you know, it's kind of gradual. And now, you know, I have a meditation practice that I, I love, you know, it's my source of everything, you know, every morning uh, where I draw and just, you know, really a lot of it is just being still. Mm-hmm just being still. I always talk to my students and say, you know, even if you don't meditate, just take a minute every day to be still. Mm-hmm. We are so busy, you know, even just physically, like our hands are busy. We're always fidgeting. Mm-hmm. Our knees are, you know, twittering. Our eyelids are busy. Our eye muscles are so busy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and so that busyness uh, dissipates our energy. Right? We, we lose, we waste a lot of energy that we naturally generate. I mean, we, we know from science that, you know, ATP, uh, what is it called? Adenosine triphosphate, right? Which is the energy molecule uh, that your mitochondria makes. We make our body weight in ATP every day just to be alive, right? Oh, yeah. We make our own body weight in ATP oh. every single day. And so we are these gigantic energy generators, you know, we create a lot of more than atomic bomb, you know, we're just, but we're losing most of that energy mm. physically by fidgeting and moving uh, and movement, of course, is life. Movement is good, but this extraneous movement, this uh, erratic movement. And then of course the mind, the mind is such a, you know, busy drunken monkey bitten by a scorpion, as they say, you know, it's, that's when we lose a lot of that energy. And so just finding a moment of stillness, you know, it's a simple practice. You can do it anywhere. You just need a minute. Mm-hmm. You're physically comfortable at step one, step two, relax yourself into stillness, relax your hands, your jaw, all facial muscles, the eyes, especially, and then, and just be there, you know, be there. Mm-hmm. It's like what, who said, be still and know that I am right. That's from the, from the Bible. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And so, and that, you know, of course the Bible came out of the Vedas, right? We don't think of it that way, but uh, uh, Christian tradition came out of these uh, more ancient traditions. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you that in church though. They don't because they don't really know it. They don't, you know, the, you know, where did this wisdom come from? You know, the wisdom came from the East uh, and it precedes, the Bible and Christianity by several thousand years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the uh, principles, like we know from the yoga sutras, right? We talk about the eight limbs of yoga and the yamas and the niyamas, the, the do's and the don'ts. 
they, I mean, they mirror commandments all mm-hmm. word for word, you know, mm-hmm. of course they were written 400 years before Christianity came about. So this is, this is more ancient, uh, but the wording is the same, you know, the practices are similar. It's not dogmatic, right? It's not sinful to commit, you know, against those uh, principles. In yoga, it's more experiential. Right? Mm-hmm. You break one of those rules, you know, don't steal, that kind of thing. Um, what they say is that's going to disturb your mind, right? It's not, you're not going to, it's not a sin, you know, and there's guilt that goes with it. Uh, in yoga, we don't look at that. We just look at, okay, uh, if you have stolen, if you have been, you know, uh, harmful in some way, then that's going to disturb your peace of mind. And we're, yeah. what we want is that calm uh, intellect to reflect mm-hmm. the shining self, right? Just like that light is shining. If your intellect is busy with thoughts, it's all distorted, then you don't see, right? Mm-hmm. You get mixed up with that. You identify only with that which is reflected, which is all distorted. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at uh, Christianity in a yogic sense and like, you know, how you said it's not a sin, but it's like, it, it's a, I like to look at it and say that heaven and hell is right now. It's, it's, it's on earth and it's in the mind. So if you do, you know, if you do commit a sin, you may live in the hell of your mind in a way. Yeah, it's completely metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. The Bible is an incredible, you know, metaphorical uh, collection of stories, metaphorical stories that exactly that, you know, that's exactly, you can be in heaven or you can be in hell right now. It depends on how you see the world. Yeah. It's all perspective. It's all that perspective. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that's what yogic practices are for, you know, is to really adjust your lens, adjust your perspective Mm -hmm. that you're able to handle the challenges better. You're able to deal with stress that comes at you and it will, you know, that's what life is about. Because that's the whole point of it. You know, if you don't have any stress and you don't have any obstacles, how are you going to learn? How are you going to seek bliss? Mm-hmm. going to seek that which is deeper than your, you know, everyday, you know, consciousness, ordinary consciousness that we're running on. Mm-hmm. You know, to, in order to seek something deeper, you have to kind of bump your head against the wall a few times until you say, I've had enough of this. I want to, you know, every... Um, a giant spiritual giant out there they've had major major uh, obstacles in their lives you know every one of them has had to deal with kind of this you know what am i to do i mean Eckhart, that same Eckhart Tolle, you know he like hated himself according to his in his own words you know he wanted to commit suicide when he was like six years old mm-hmm. that's a sad way of living but you know in some ways he just wanted to get out of his skin he wanted to jump out of his everyday ordinary existence to find something greater and you know he didn't have the training the yogic training you know for him it just happened in a snap because he he was done with it Mm. yeah and i think that's possible for everybody it's just it but like we talked about before it just comes down to perspective it's people look at it their sufferings and they look at their their trials and tribulations and they say what was me and they just keep getting caught in that cycle but if you take those and like you said you learn from those that's when you can culminate and cultivate a, a better and happier life totally and that's what it's about yeah that's what it's about absolutely yeah. do you think that's what life is about because i'm the first thing that you ever asked me was uh what is the per what is what is the meaning of life and what is the, the purpose of yoga i'm going to ask you that question 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know if I answered that in the in the training. You probably did. I just don't remember your answer. <laughs> I mean, so you know, yoga has many meanings. Uh, the traditional meaning of yoga is that it's union, right, of that uh, our individual self to that which is the deeper self, the Atman, right, or mm -hmm. Brahman. Brahman is Atman, but it's represented. So Brahman, right, is consciousness, right? So that's the definition of Brahman. In fact, Brahman is that which expands because the root word bur, uh, B-R-H, is to grow, to expand, uh, mm. to burgeon, you know, to, to give birth, you know, and I think maybe some of those English words come from uh, that same root. Um, and that is the ultimate principle of the universe, which is represented in an individual in a person as Atman, right? So Atman is part of Brahman and it's just individualized in this particular manifestation. That's the deepest part of you. That's the most authentic part of you. Um, and yoga is connecting to that. And right? so yoga is that yoking or union with that. And it so means union literally, right? It literally means union or yoking or even the word junction comes mm -hmm. from that yoke, you know, yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, this English, you know, borrows a lot from Sanskrit. A lot of most Indo-European languages come from Sanskrit or a derivative of Sanskrit, you know, whichever, mm -hmm. whatever was earlier, you know, and that's true for um, all European languages, Slavic languages, you know, Persian, Iranian uh, dialects, all of that just kind of came out of Sanskrit. So that's why we have root words that are so similar to Sanskrit, mm -hmm. a lot of these different languages. Um, so, and the meaning of life, I mean, you know, we make it, you know, my answer really is, uh, we make the meaning of life, you know, we, you know, to be a good person, you know, we know that you need to do two things to be a good person, you know, to be, and to be a good person, meaning that you feel fulfilled, right? You feel no matter what happens, you feel like you've lived a good life, you've contributed, right? And that's basically where the the core is, is contribution. So you want to be able to grow. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Grow, develop, advance, whether it's, you know, physically or spiritually advance and use your knowledge, use your physical energy to help others, right? So some kind of contribution. The growth, the individual growth gives us fulfillment and societal contribution gives us incredible fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So those two have to exist, um, and, you know, just kind of across the board, that's kind of the general, you know, I talk about the, the old story of a, a teacher, you know, shining a light with a mirror, right? So catching a little ray of light with a mirror and directing it to the student and saying, you see how I can catch my light with this mirror and direct it to her face. And, you know, the answer is, well, the meaning of life is twofold, right? It's to gather the light and to take it to where it's needed, right? Mm -hmm that light that you've gathered to someone who needs the light, mm. um, then the life, then your life becomes meaningful. Then it becomes a fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, it's just biological existence uh, that's self-focused. Um, and that doesn't provide that same satisfaction. Mm -hmm. so, but again, you know, the, these are just philosophical, you know, I'm just meandering here because we don't really know, right? We make our own purpose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they talk about Dharma. Dharma is your individual life purpose. Uh, that's a big concept throughout uh, Asia in general, not just in uh, 
Indian, you know, yogic India, but also more in the South East Asia, Dharma is the way, right? The way of life, the way of practicing what you're meant to do. And if you don't practice it, they say you will not be fulfilled, right? So one of the goals of your life is to find your Dharma, known as Svadharma. Sva means your own. Uh, just like in Russian, the word Sva means Svaya means your, your own Dharma. Um, and really follow it to the fullest. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you will be miserable. <laughs> mm-hmm. You'll always wander. It's like Thoreau said, men lo- live lives of quiet desperation, right? Henry David Thoreau in his uh, Walden book. Mm-hmm. Uh, very beginning you know somewhere in the beginning he says men live lives of quiet desperation why because we don't follow our own dharma we don't ask the question that question gets suppressed somewhere in childhood you know one of our you know adult uh supervised teachers parents peers you know whoever gives you that you know ridiculous idea that whatever you really love is stupid and you know that's going to be a waste of your time you know go do Mm -hmm. something productive Yep. And get this idea into your head and that basically suppresses your search and that could be suppressed for the rest of your life and people get really depressed about that mm-hmm. knowingly or unknowingly depressed you know they're always searching and they could be financially successful but they'll still be miserable because they're not following their path their mm. how do you know your path right people always ask i know some of you um, guys ask the same question in the training how do you follow your path, how do you know what your path is, you know? So your path bubbles up, kind of like a spring, right? It comes out, comes forth within you when you're young, but also throughout your life because it is your path, right? So it's gonna come up just like a bubbling spring. And there are gonna be echoes of this throughout your life. So it's just, it just takes time to listen. I think that's why meditation is so helpful too because it's in those quiet moments that you discover what your natural affinity is, what your inclination, what, what are your tendencies? Look mm-hmm. at your life like, you know, where are you born? You know, what languages do you speak? What's your physical makeup? You know, what is your emotional and mental makeup? So depending on all of these things, you can get a directive. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I am six foot five and I like balls. Mm-hmm. Well, probably, you're probably going to be good at basketball, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and in that sense, you know, if you... Mm-hmm speak a specific language or if you come from a specific culture, it's probably very likely that your dharma has to do with that culture. Mm-hmm. None, as they say in spiritual circles, nothing happens for no reason, right? There's a reason for everything. Mm-hmm. See it, but there is a plan, right? There is that divine principle, Brahman, that guides us, right, through life. And, you know, there is a plan there, you know, and being attuned to that plan, uh, is very important. And also just reading what's like smack right in front of you. You know, it's what, what is your personality like? Where are you born? What are you, what are your physical and mental attributes? Mm. You know, do you like to draw? Do you like to write? Do you like to sing? Do you like to dance? You know, usually it has to do with something creative, right? We're all creative beings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, someone's Dharma is probably not, um, you know, um, counting money, right? Yeah. Like being that. an accountant or something. Yeah, being an accountant. You know, it's it's probably not that. It's something mm-hmm. creative, you know. So being a creator, because we are a creator, right? So that Brahman is the creative principle of the universe, and we are it. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't. May, we may not feel it, but just intellectually, we understand that that's what we are. Mm. 
So the creation aspect is huge and uh, that's where your dharma is. But you know, the question is, what are you creating? What do you want to create? Mm. How do you contribute to the lives of others in a meaningful way? How do you grow yourself and elevate yourself? And what is it that you want to create? What are you naturally drawn to? Mm-hmm. What's your dharma? I think it's teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teaching um, has been, and you know, dharma changes too. Uh, teaching has been kind of a, I don't want to say an easy path, you know, for me. It's something that I'm, I'm naturally inclined. I love it. You know, I, I feel that I'm able to explain complicated concepts in a way that is discernible for most people. You know, um, mm. sometimes when I teach a class, you know, and, uh, you know, people will talk to me afterwards and say, you know, you were talking about these things and it was so interesting. But when somebody asked me afterwards what we talked about, I couldn't explain. I was like, I like, yeah, it was all interesting, but how do you how do you present that to someone? Mm. So these concepts, these kind of metaphysical philosophical concepts, are I think difficult to uh, conceptualize, and especially you know to have a conversation about mm-hmm. in a way that's progressively you know understood. And uh, I find that I've always had an easy time with it, easier mm. than most. Yeah, even in Russian, because I grew up in the Soviet Union, and I remember uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to become a ninja. <laughs> Most kids do, you know, you watch a movie, and you, you know, I was very physical because I was a gymnast, so I could do flips and all that, walk on my hands, and and I was in a crowd of kids, kind of like me, like me, and would would run around and pretend to be ninjas, and, and at the end of it. And this was usually in the summer because, you know, I grew up in Siberia. It's cold in the winter. So we would be out in the summer until late hours and we would go into a park. And at the end of the night, you know, we would sit down and I would say, I would be like, okay, we're going to meditate now. And I was probably like 12 or something like that. And I had no idea, you know, we'd say, okay, we're going to sit down cross-legged in a circle and we're just going to breathe, you know, and meditate. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this is, this is something that I was doing when I was 12 back mm. in the area, you know, and I wasn't learning from anyone. I mean, I saw my dad doing that, but I never took his class. I just saw, you know, they're doing it. They're adults. Mm. Or that, I never thought this was going to be for me. You know, this was just a natural, yeah, natural thing for me. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, I noticed that in your book, I actually just finished reading your book yesterday, which was, was, I didn't actually do that on purpose. I just, it just so happened to be. And um, I noticed the way that you put these very profound topics is just very simple. Like anybody could read your book and just be like, oh, okay. And because, you know, not everybody could read the, uh, the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita and really take it all in and really internalize that. But if you, you put it in a simple way, you can kind of like, you can spark something in people's you know, in mind. I like, I love the last paragraph too. I'm mean, not the last, the last story that you have of this moment. And uh, how you said, um, how do I put this the right way? You could probably put it a lot better than me, obviously. It was, uh, you don't remember the moments in your life that you're caught in either in the past or the future. You remember the moments, like the, the very fond memories that you have in life are the ones that you are, you're just totally engrossed in the moment when you're walking on the beach or you're in the woods or you know, you're playing with friends or something like that. That is the moments that you remember. And then I, I closed the book and I was, I was at the beach. I closed the book and I, was, I, I fully took in the moment. I was like, wow, 
I'm going to remember this moment. Like I fully en- like was, became engrossed in that. And it was a, it was a very, I never really thought about that. Like the, the, the memories that we have, it's not the times when we're thinking about our, the past or the future. It's just, the, it's fully being right. engrossed in the moment. Right. Yeah. And you put it so simply, it was great. Yeah. There's those intense moments that sometimes force you to be present, right? Because something happens, right? Mm-hmm. You feel coffee all over yourself, right? You're going to remember that because it's like, whoa, like it's, it just shocks you, you know? Yeah. Or when you are on purpose, you know, like you said, when you're on the beach and you're looking at the waves and you're just taking in the whole scenery, those moments will stay with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not the days you have lived, but the days you remember, the moments you remember. Yeah. That's definitely true. It was awesome. It was awesome. And so, you know, another kind of idea here um, that I I like to talk about in terms of consciousness, you know, just for people to kind of understand uh, what consciousness is and what is this conscious principle, Mm -hmm. really just the underlying um, sense of existence, right? So, you know, this is, I, I find that this is the most difficult concept for people to come around because we're using our limited mind. We've established that, you know, the spotlight view, um, and so, you know, like water, right? Water can take many different shapes, right? It could be ice, could be vapor, could be waves in the ocean. And I give that example, you know, waves rolling to the shore. And if the waves, if the waves have consciousness, right? And one of them said, well, what are we doing? And I said, well, we're rolling around. It was like, oh, I, I like the way I'm rolling, right? I like my bubbles and look how I'm sparkling in the sun. And where are we all going? Well, we're gonna go over there. We're gonna go to the shore. What's gonna happen to the shore? We're going to crash. We're going to crash into the rocks. Mm-hmm. And what? Well, we're waves. We're going to disappear, of course. Oh, my God. But what, what's going to happen to my sparkling bubbles? Well, it's going to be gone, you know? So, of course, that's how people are, right? We are attached to this name and form that we are, right? Yeah. Attached to this particular body and mind. And that's our identification, right? This is where from this identification stems our suffering, right mm-hmm. our suffering comes from this particular like the wave identifying with itself and then it knows that it's going to crash mm-hmm. so we know right the body and mind knows that there's an end to this life and we're so attached to this life that we're afraid of death we're afraid of everything and so the underlying substance of the wave of course is water right water is not going anywhere it's still part of the sea it's still part of that same ocean you know and then another example uh, another teacher gives it right, which i love is gold right you can have a gold necklace and what is what is a necklace a necklace doesn't exist without the gold right a necklace is a shape of a certain uh, object you know whatever gold necklace and we call it a necklace necklace is a name name and form Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you take away the gold is there a necklace left no Nothing, right? You can melt this gold necklace and turn mm-hmm. it into a bracelet, mm. right? Or a ring. And now the name and form are gone. Now it's called a ring or it's called a bracelet. But the, go- the gold, the underlying essence of it is still there. The substance mm. is still there. Mm-hmm. So we're the same way. Like, you know, we call ourselves what we call ourselves, you know, our name and form, you know, human being called this way and whatever we call ourselves and all the different descriptions that we give ourselves. And again, that is just the name and form. That's not the reality, 
Mm -hmm. Reality is something deeper than that, right? We are up and down, right? Up is life, down is death, but the down is not down. Down is just part of the same wave. Yep. You know, what mm -hmm. is the wave? What is that substance? That substance is consciousness. Mm -hmm. That's what we are. We are just like the golden object that can be melted into a different object. We are the same way, you know, we will change our form and continue as this essence right the consciousness mm -hmm. and so how do you know that how do you feel that uh, you know most people i think know this intrinsically you know if you don't think about it if you just know what you are right now just experience this present moment right now there is an underlying presence there Right, so you can think about your name and form. You can look at yourself. You can look at your mind. You can kind of turn around, look at your own witness. But that which exists, right? I always give this example. If when you were five years old, if uh, if I were to ask you, who are you? At five years old, you'd give me your name, say I'm a boy or I'm a girl. I'm this and that, you know. Uh, I said no, no, no. Beyond that, deeper than that, deeper than what you're describing. Who are you inside? Deep inside eventually you would say, I don't know. You throw your hands up and you say, I don't know. I'm, I'm just me. It's just me. Mm -hmm. And when you're 25, I would ask you the same. And you say, I don't know. It's just me. The same deep down past all the descriptions. And when you're 85, it's just me, mm -hmm. right? It's the same me. It's the same feeling of me, the experience of existence. doesn't matter what age you are. And the cool thing is it's the same for all of us all 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet that are happen to be, you know, alive today, they all have this experience. It's just me. We're all, it's just me because we're all the same Brahman consciousness mm -hmm. manifesting in different ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, so, and, and, and again, that's just a simple way of understanding that of knowing that, yes, we are that which is inexplicable, which is unborn, which is undying. And, you know, we move through the cycles of life and death to realize our truth eventually, to come back to that, to bump around, get ourselves knocked around, you know, with challenges in life. But eventually we realize that we are and have always been that consciousness. Mm. It's a beautiful concept, isn't it? It is. And in some ways, you know, what's happening in the world right now, a lot of people are worried, you know, with the whole coronavirus and, you know, government, political control, you know, everybody's, all the countries in the world turning slightly socialist, right? Our, mm -hmm. A lot of restrictions, a lot of our freedoms are taken away from us. And so people are, you know, obviously uh, asking a lot of questions. But in the end, you know, if you have this perspective of consciousness, right? This is just, right? This is just a wave. Yep. It's another ripple. It's just another ripple. It's just, it doesn't really matter in the long run i'm talking about outside of this life this one yeah. life in the long run we're all that creating all sorts of different manifestations of what could be mm -hmm. of ch challenges that could be as hard as they could be you know being born in a nazi germany and being sent into some soviet concentration camp i mean that's you know that's a far out game to play you know with your mm -hmm sadistic you know uh, or masochistic tendency of the of nature you know putting yourselves through the mill to have these terrible experiences so you can say okay i'm done i, I want to wake up now mm -hmm. 
you know but then again so that's it's that just having that knowledge that in the end it's okay you know mm-hmm. it's all that it is okay mm-hmm. our mind is subjected to the tumultuous you know experience but underneath that is changeless that does yeah. not change the consciousness the experience of me existence even if you find yourself starving it's just me that experience is the same mm-hmm. it's all temporary it's all impermanent right it's impermanence of yeah mm. it is it is a uh, and i wish everybody imagine how different the world would be if everybody knew that concept yeah i think it would be i mean you know if if it was taught if mm. it was taught you know at the appropriate age you know somewhere around i'd say 18 19 uh where you know people can grasp that and maybe some preparation for that you know so mm-hmm. earlier on and but of course you know and so somewhere in the i can't remember exactly where uh i don't know if it's in the vedas or the upanishads uh but it does say that at some point the world will embrace this philosophy mm. all nations of the world will embrace this philosophy what do you think that's going to take <laughs> <laughs> You know, we don't know, but it is happening. You know, it is happening. It is. It's a slow process, but it is happening. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, we're seeing so much turmoil in the world right now, but it's like you said, there's it's polar opposites. Like you have one side that you can look at and see just like, you know, insanity and just chaos. But then you have the, also, the, the other side where you have uh, an awakening in, in the sense of where people are actually like at, are finding out and people are finding yoga and alternative therapies and, you know, people are doing podcasts and shows like this and it's it's it is like a yin and yang thing it's it's the opposites and the more one intensifies the 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 more the other side intensifies exactly so there is a acceleration of this Mm. uh, that's happening so you know i don't want to give you a a long time frame because it could happen in just a decade you know Mm. especially now like how quickly we're able to change you know a year ago, if you were told that the world was going to be like this, you would say that's impossible, you know. Yeah. But, and this is not just here in America. You know, I talked to my mom who's in Siberia, and what she's telling me is, is exactly the same what's happening here. I live in San Diego. You know, what we have in San Diego is the same as what's happening in Siberia. Mm. I talked to her and she says, yeah, it's the same. People are wearing masks. <laughs> Everybody's cautious, you know, keeping their distance. You know, it's the same kind of guideline, global and we were able to change on a dime like that, you know, mm. just like physical, but also like people are, you know, they understand why this is important, you know, or they're convinced by the media that it is important, you know, globally, you know, we've all bought into this, whether for good or bad, you know, we've all been able to make this drastic change in our lives, which basically shows me that we are capable of changing as a, you know, planetary society very quickly if there is need mm-hmm. there's a major need for something like this to happen mm-hmm. we will change very quickly yeah this coronavirus experience only proves it yeah i think it's just the catalyst to it this yeah. is just the beginning i mean hopefully there's not much more um you know catastrophes that'll happen like that but uh Sometimes it's it's almost like what we need in a way. Like humanity needs that wake up call. Yeah. In order, in order yeah. to wake up. It's leading us in 
uh, hopefully in the right direction of awakening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hopefully. then, you know, exactly, you know, at the same time though, you know, awakening, all of us being awake uh, at the same time is not going to be a world we want. Mm. You know? <laughs> so why uh, not? Because then when you're awake and everybody's awake, you don't know it. Right? Oh, okay. You only know it because if you, you know, you have the bliss of the experience, right? Mm -hmm. the rupture of, like, oh, you know, I have come out of this painful, you know, this lockdown, you know, not the mm -hmm. lockdown we have, but this mental that we've put ourselves predicament of being only human, not spiritual, you know, only physical being. Mm-hmm. And that is suffering, you know, that is the hell that we're talking about, hell on earth. Uh, but the heaven can be also experienced right now, right here, right now. Mm -hmm. yeah, the all, kingdom of heaven is within. It's all within. It's that conscious perspective, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wow. What do we have for time? Hour and 15 minutes, about? I think if you want to end it right there, Slava, I think that's a very uh, good point to end it at. Uh, thanks Gary yeah I mean that's uh, yeah it was a pleasure talking to you um, Ooh, I, yeah. Thank it you was great yeah okay. I, um, I, I think you should make your own videos and your own series and you know your own teachings on stuff I think you just like like you said before the, the, the way that you explain things is just simple and you have just an easy presence like you're uh, just like and you can talk to anybody I feel like anybody can listen to you thank you yeah I know yeah. it's it's just a matter of doing it. I'm, I am, I'd rather meditate or read a book or. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I know. I've been told that uh, a few times before. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you need any help, you know who to call. I can help out. Hey, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know if there's anything else. Like we can do this again, obviously, you know, if there's anything else, any other part of consciousness that we want to discuss you know definitely definitely i thoroughly enjoyed our conversation awesome it was great thank you thanks right. lava i will be in touch and uh you know namaste namaste